Welcome back to the apartment library. Okay, so how did we come by this book, sweetie pie? Um, well, I heard people, because I go on, like, the book, or suggest me a book subreddit all the time. You don't. I do. And on there, I, I saw people recommend this book multiple times. Huh. So I figured, why not? I guess the name being pretty abstract, it never uh, stuck with me if, if I ever saw it recommended however it is fairly recent and that is or fucking all of it is at the heart of the tragedy of this man's death right Mm -hmm. so paul kalanithi was diagnosed and died about a year after and in that time he finished his residency mended his marriage had a child as his disease progressed and eventually died. So, bummer. <laughs> Big bummer. <laughs> and yeah, it was cool to do like a nonfiction book for our podcast because you read a bit more nonfiction than I do, but I'm not a huge yeah. nonfiction reader. And this I wouldn't even classify. I mean, obviously, nonfiction is just a huge. It's, it's a memoir. I, yeah, this book is a memoir. I, like, I love the idea that like nonfiction is like the only thing. The only category of published works that we describe by what they are not. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah, I guess. You you, you could just call it real stuff, realism. You know. No, yeah. it's it's just nonfiction. But yeah, like I like to read history, like geopolitical history and current history. Yeah, and uh, I can't really remember a reading a memoir. I've definitely read something that like fits the category of a biography but not memoirs and this knocked me on my ass oh my god it was it was heartwarming it was beautifully written it was sad mm-hmm. this poor man and i disagreed with him on a few things that he said and that's still you know he he still kind of came across to me as a really kind and loving human being and we have to touch the subject with the utmost respect because we were, we're referring to not only the late paul but also his wife and daughter. Mm-hmm. And considering that he wrote this book, like when he only had a few months, yeah. or like when he was on his last stretch. As he was dying. Yeah. And very close to the end as, as well. Yeah. And the, the book is unfinished. Yeah. It very much, I mean, it, it isn't, but it is, right? He would have probably continued writing mm-hmm. if his state hadn't deteriorated so fast as it did as stated in the epilogue by his wife, which was, like you warned me before yeah. I finished the book, it was one of the more heart-wrenching parts of it all. Yeah, he definitely, it, it definitely did, like the ending to his part of the book felt a bit sudden because you realize, okay, he, he sadly passed away before yeah. he was able to, I guess, finish it how he wanted to. It still did have a nice... It felt like a good ending because mm-hmm. he was he was like talking about his daughter and all yeah. that. So it didn't feel like all of a sudden in the middle of a chapter the book ends or something. It mm-hmm. was a satisfying conclusion, but you come to realize that it probably wasn't what he intended. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I guess he would have probably kept on writing, but he must have. You know, he he was obviously as a trained physician, he was aware of what was happening to him in painful detail, and must have felt it he must have felt you know that he was he was essentially becoming incapable at some point he 
had trouble writing because his fingers had become split because of the chemotherapy or something else. Yeah, and he had to, I think they described how he had to wear these little gloves when he was typing on his laptop. And a special keyboard, I think. Yeah. But it did definitely have this immense punch at the end when it was obvious that Paul knew that he was dying and he was, I don't want to say rushing, but he was putting it all out there and describing what is, you know, like, the pinnacle of his last year, which was to uh, to be there for the birth of his daughter, while he himself was in, you know, on a medical bed, dying as his daughter was was being born, which is insanity to me, right? The fact that this couple decided to have a child knowing that he was going to die, that the father was going to die, that this kid was going to grow up fatherless. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big, serious decision to make. Yeah, and that's, the, you know, like, I don't want to... It's not to say that it, because you don't have a father, you're going to grow up and be miserable or something, but... Oh, yeah, like, I, the first thing that pops to my mind when I think about that is that, like, you don't really miss what you didn't have. Yeah. Obviously, this is all a loving family, so the kid is going to grow with the stories of her dad, and, like, she's going to grow up knowing that this tragedy happened right at the beginning of her life and in some capacity missing but you can't you know compare that to someone you know who's who loses their dad yeah like after they've been born you know or after they're aware yeah 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 if your dad dies when you're five it's kind of you know yeah you you will remember them in 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 part but not you know yeah because yeah like the the daughter I i can't remember if they gave if they said what her name is in the book yeah it's a well, it's it's Katie, but like it's Elizabeth something. Okay, but Katie's not short for Elizabeth. It's Elizabeth something, and that something is what's shortened to Katie. I can't remember if it was Cadence. Okay. But well, fuck. that's okay. It doesn't really matter what her name is. Katie. Okay. Well, so yeah, like I guess their their daughter Katie is gonna grow up and see her friends with their dads probably, and then she might be sad that she yeah. doesn't have that herself. But yeah, I mean, I guess we can't make that call to say that she's, you know, going to be super sad throughout her whole life because they chose to give birth to her (laughs) without her dad, you know? Yeah, I don't don't think it's, yeah, I mean, I I perceive it, I I see it from that point where, I mean, you don't really miss what you didn't really have. But also, I find it interesting that somebody would take that path, would make those decisions. I probably wouldn't. And it attests to the wide variety of thought out there and like the way that people choose to live their lives. And obviously they had this beautiful few months together and in part Paul's death was a momentous, beautiful thing that they were able to experience together and that they loved each other so much. And it is painfully obvious in the book when he writes and when his wife writes at the end, they were prepared for it. And it helped tremendously that he was, they were both trained physicians. They're acquainted with death and they had seen its face in many ways. So it obviously can't have been a easy decision to make, but they went in head on. I mean, they were going to fertility clinics or were they going through the process of like, having or yeah they wanted they considered like i think getting his sperm frozen or getting the embryo yeah frozen something like that 
Yeah, so they went through that process, and it's obvious that they really wanted to get pregnant, and it's just so alien to me, yeah. you know? Yeah. That, that that thought process is, it was, you know. Yeah. And, the, and then we have, I guess, a tradition here at the apartment library to start with the things we didn't like in a book. <laughs> um, I, it's not that I didn't like in the book, no. but I disagreed with his perception of... And I guess he was a mildly religious man. He did believe in a god of some kind. And that, I think, is the one thing that rubbed me the wrong way. And everything that he said in his memoir was that if not for your theistic belief, there is no way to make sense. Even though he has the scope of science with him, he has the ability to look at these matters from a scientific perspective, that without faith and belief, there is just no way to make sense of the human experience and the grand emotions that we experience and we feel for one another and for ourselves and in our lives in a myriad ways. Yeah, that was like one of the parts that I kind of cringed a little bit reading. It was, like it's not a religious book. Like he's not preaching to you throughout the no, book or anything. It was just, yeah. One little section of one chapter of the book where he talks about that. Yeah. And yeah, I did not relate to it at all. Yeah. And of course, I mean, you don't have to relate to it. This is his memoir. It's his beliefs, his thoughts. So it's okay to like, let those out in your memoir, of course. But yeah, I, I didn't really grasp that part of the book where he was saying yeah like unless you believe in god you can't believe in like a meaning to life or mm -hmm. something like that yeah. and i don't even subscribe to the fact that our life has to have a meaning you can just live a good life and that can be fine yeah, it doesn't, a, doesn't have to have a purpose or it's a, or a human a, thing to want to ascribe meaning to yeah, it. yeah but my like i just i, I just believe that we shouldn't get caught up in that like what's the meaning of my life and all that you know it's it's not necessary but that was a big part of the book I guess like him determining and seeking to understand what makes a meaningful life I think that was like the theme of the book and I mean a meaning to death mm -hmm. very importantly as well yeah it was you know the book was more concerned with the leaving of life more than the coming to it no but i think when you die you kind of question was my life meaningful and whatever and i think that's Th what that he, was a theme yes yeah that's what he went through a little bit yeah and and being a doctor and he sees like patients suffering and he has to make you know quality of life assessments like is it is it worth going through this risky surgery when it might lead to paralysis or it might disrupt your the language center of your brain so it, it was cool that kind of combination of the medical side of what makes a life worth living and I guess the more philosophical side of it as well that that he discussed in the book mm -hmm. that's why it came to it came as a shock to me that a man who was obviously dealing with well neurosurgery and he was opening up people's brains to fix issues therein it blows my mind that they would you know not believe that that in itself the brain decidedly the most complex matter in the universe that we know of is not 
the engine by which we create, experience, and understand those emotions, which is largely what I think he referred to in a variety of ways to, well, meaning, passion, emotion. It, it is all in our brain, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that came up in the book, too. I think he just he talked about that. That's why I think he wanted to go into neurosurgery mm-hmm. in the first place, is because the brain is what allows you to think and allows you to think about the topic of meaning and all that. So I think that's that he mentioned that's why he was interested in the field. Uh-huh. So even more so, you know, like it, it shocks me that somebody would look at theistic faith to look at that for answers in what is obviously in front of you. So I think it, it was just a matter of like reconciling for him to a matter a way to reconcile, you know, his budding theistic belief later in life after he had mentioned uh, he have he had been an atheist for a bit and a pragmatist so it, it was a little contrasting but it just goes to show i mean like the the guy was tremendously smart super accomplished and just like me <laughs> and he, and like i we disagree on that you know yeah i mean and again the religious thing was very minor in the book like if it was a big theme of the book i wouldn't have continued reading you know it was, big time. It was just like yeah. maybe a page or two where he talked about that. Yeah, yeah. It was oh, like, well, like it covered like so many things in his life, right? That yeah. was just one more aspect of it. Mm-hmm. it. It just came as a surprise. Yeah. But either way, yeah. like so many other parts of the book were, so many other parts of Paul's story are just so painfully real and so beautifully told he was very capable of like painting that image in our minds. I mean, he was a real person. I looked up uh, pictures of him and videos of him before I started reading the book. And you know, even you know, even if you don't, you know from the outset of the book that this man is going to die. So that makes many parts of the book far more gut-wrenching, right? Like the mm. fact that he goes through remission, his cancer, his tumor decreases in size. He starts feeling better at one point. The oncologist says, like, we don't have to meet every couple of weeks. We can meet every six weeks. And you know that this man's going to die soon. And it just makes it all more painful to read. But it was, in terms of prose, it was written beautifully and surprising that it was written at that speed in that time frame and published in that time frame. Yeah, and, and to think that when he was writing it, he was probably feeling so sick. ill and, yeah, so sick. Like, I can't imagine sitting there and writing a memoir, but he really wanted to do that. That was one of his big goals because he, he did study literature, I think, as his mm-hmm. undergrad degree. And mm-hmm. so I think writing a book was something that he always wanted to do. So when you figure out you don't have much time left, you got to get it out. Mm-hmm. Well, he wanted to, you know, work. 20 years in neurosurgery mm-hmm. and then go on to write if he could or write at the same time. He wanted to be a neurosurgeon scientist. Yeah. Yeah. A neurosurgeon slash neuroscientist, which is apparently like the most prestigious thing to be. <laughs> well, at Stanford, it was a neurosurgeon dash scientist, mm-hmm. meaning that like he would have to be, he would have to have finished his uh, residency and become a doctor, but also remain a, a teacher, is what was mentioned. Okay, I, I didn't catch that. I just caught the part where, like, he he's a neurosurgeon, yeah. but he was also working in, like, a neuroscience lab. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that, that at one point he is battling his disease, and he finds out that once he had, once he had recovered a bit, and he was considering going back to work, he found out that that position, the position that was carved for him, that had his name on it, had been filled by someone else, and this man just rolls with the punches. It's just pure insanity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I like how the book was divided, too, because the first part was just nothing about his, or very little about his illness. It was just kind of his story of growing up and how he decided to take the path that he did and and his pathway through medical school and how tough that was. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my God, I just can't imagine, like, the lack of sleep and all the long hours they put in. It's just insane. It's brutal, it is, eh? yeah. And then the second part of the book, of course, is is more focused on his illness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was very interesting, though. Like, I love seeing that in its most real form, you know? Like, that it is such an interesting field, of course, and it's tremendously challenging. It literally deals with people becoming ill and either healing or dying and everything in between. Yeah, I remember I, I bought a book about a surgeon's journey through medical school and his residency and working in the ER the day that you told me you were reading this book and I was Uh like cool let's read two medical books and now I read this one I'm like oh maybe not (laughs) (laughs) well the other one probably isn't as death related is it like at least from the author's point of view as far as I know the author doesn't die at the end yeah yeah so it's not a memoir of the man's journey out of life yeah were there any like parts of the book that stuck out for you that you really enjoyed or like like you just said the the journey of him through medical school through his residency that's probably what i found the most interesting to read simply because that is inherently interesting some of the challenges the actual practical challenges that the field of neurosurgery places on the people who seek to become that type of doctor Man, I mean, it's just terrifying. Some of the things that can go wrong. Oh, my God. And surgery. Like, there's that... We talked about this before, but there's a part in the book where I think one of his, like, senior colleagues tells him, like, I made this mistake one time. It was, like, the first or second time I did this particular surgery, and I, I guess, disturbed a certain part of the brain or damaged a certain part of the brain. And it gave the patient locked-in syndrome, which is when you're completely aware, except you're paralyzed. You can only blink your eyes, apparently. But you're fully conscious of what's happening around you, and you can feel and experience, but like you can't, you You have no control over your muscles. You can't make hand motions. You can't. So you're. So it's just such high stakes, like the the job that they do. Like Mm -hmm. one little mistake can really ruin a person. Yeah. And like worse than mur- more from the worse than killing them, you know, like that is insane or or it was so interesting when he talked about like the different effects that different treatments or different diseases have on patients who have uh, issues with their brain, you know, like this this man who ha- had lost the brain pathways between his thoughts and language, and he could only, he could only communicate saying numbers. I mean, oh. he wasn't communicating; he was just saying numbers. Wow. Nobody could understand what he was saying, but yeah. he was literally just like four, four, yeah. fourteen, fourteen. You know, like 
it's insanity. Like the stakes are so high for that sort of thing, but the reward at the same time is just incredible, right? Like you're saving people's lives should should you be able to, and should you have the ability to. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was gut wrenching to see this man like go through all of that, find his passions, find the time to do everything that he wanted to, and then life throws him that curveball at thirty six years old. I know, and especially, yeah, like, with, with the career he chose, he was kind of just getting started yeah. at that point. And you're so young, in your 30s. So, yeah, it's just crazy that this happens to people. And I think his experience being a patient kind of helped him be a better doctor, because yeah. I think he talked about how he used to just see people as paperwork, essentially, or he was just very detached from the human experience of helping someone and at some point yes. and putting yourself in their shoes kind of thing and it's hard to blame doctors because let's be real they're probably working a 24-hour shift they have like 20 patients they're taking care of and also like the system is sort of made to detach you from that because otherwise you or the, the wrong type of person or the wrong type of mentality might lead you to go crazy dealing with this sort of thing yeah if you get get too emotionally attached to your every single patient yeah you'll just be constantly you won't be focused yeah so there has to be a balance of that like you said everything else the pressures of academia the pressures of the job itself the responsibility over other people's lives like you said he had prescribed these drugs and these treatments to people countless times And he never knew what they actually felt like. Or, you know, maybe you're aware on on some, you know, uh, academic sense or on a um, pathological sense of, like, what chemotherapy does to a body. But, like, once you're sitting there actually, like, getting the poison pumped through your veins and a week later you feel like you've been cooked alive, essentially, it's very different from, you know, telling people that that's what they have to go through, right? Yeah. You may be aware of what getting punched in the face feels like, but then you get punched in the face and it becomes very real. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Brutal. Yeah, it's really, really insane. Yeah, to think of someone going through this and just yeah, on top of that, like dealing with all the stress of, of your work and stress at home with his wife and all of those things, like all at once. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, and they, they both alluded to the fact that his disease mended their marriage right like they were in a rut in a really bad place in their in their marriage felt like it wasn't going anywhere close to his diagnosis and that brought them closer together you know the fact that he needed her and that she wanted to be there for him and then she bites the bullet and goes through the whole ordeal with him all the way to his death yeah yeah it's not easy and, oh my gosh, like, some of the side effects of the treatment he went through. Like, we talked about how he had to wear those gloves because his skin was... His fingers horrib- his fingertips were splitting. Oh, God. And there's another point in the book where he talks about how... Was it, like, part of his pharynx or something? Like, dried up and came out of his mouth or something? Sorry. Do you remember that? His pharynx? Yeah, there was a part of the book where it said that, I think, the meds, like the medication he was on cause like some part of his throat to like shrivel up and die essentially was it his palate 
Yeah, maybe. Chia. What the fuck? Okay. Get her out of there. Chia, no. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah, so just like the hardships mentally and physically of going through this thing is unimaginable. Yeah, interesting. And like, so what do you think about like the title of the book? How do you interpret that? I only thought about it in depth once I had finished the book. Mm -hmm. I was aware, like I said, that he was going to die. Um, I mean, well, if you read the prologue, you find out right away, of course. I don't remember reading the dust jacket or anything, but yeah, it didn't really make an impression on me until I had finished the book and I sat on it for a minute and thought of this man having lung cancer, never smoked, but the fact that it is so true. The moment that you die, the breath in your lungs, in you, coming out of you is breath no more, but air. Just air, yeah. And I also thought of the situation, because a big theme of the book is kind of quality of life and, and what is a life that's worth living in terms of your physical mm-hmm. health. So I just imagine someone who's like in a coma on a ventilator mm-hmm. and so... At what point does their actual living breath just become like air of a dead body? You know, <laughs> it's kind of morbid, but I also thought of that kind of scenario. Yeah. That's that's a part of the book you discuss is like, is it worth living when you're paralyzed? Is it worth worth living when you have locked in syndrome, for example? So at what what point yeah, does does your natural breath just become the air of a biological organism that's just barely hanging on yeah you're not you know you may be alive but you're not living right yeah and that that is definitely a theme of the book whereas uh, in a more medical sense yeah it discusses you know your quality of life and your approach to making decisions on a patient's behalf or for a patient's state and in his last moments you know he discusses it with his wife and his family a little bit he said like should i be intubated you know, mm-hmm. I'm eventually going to have trouble breathing should they intubate me. Because, you know, that's, it can be another month of you. You could literally die tonight. Or if we intubate you, you could, you know, stay, quote unquote, alive. Because, you know, the machine's breathing for you mm-hmm. for an indefinite period, you know. Sometimes it might be short, depending on, you know, it's a case by case thing. But it very much tackles that and they decide not to do it. And that follows suit to Paul's approach to this entire issue and his conclusions in the end that, yeah, life is only worth living if you can pursue the things that you want to do, which is kind of insane to me that at the end of his life, you know, he wanted to have a kid and he wanted his his wife to have a child with her, even if she was going to be husbandless and the child fatherless. And it's crazy. And then there's that other thing I remember I read where the Lucy, Paul's wife, now she is in a relationship with a man who essentially went through the same thing that she did. His partner died of cancer. Oh, wow. And he went through the same process that Lucy went with Paul. Huh. And now they're together. So it's kind of insane. Like, the odds are astronomical of that. I mean, I think they found each other because of it. Yeah. But who could understand you better than someone who's gone through something extremely similar it makes sense yeah it must be nice to have someone who who does understand what you're feeling Mm -hmm. at least to a certain extent (laughs) so yeah it's 
it's a tragic story, but uh, it's beautiful in some ways, you know, like that at least it comes across through his writing that he came to terms with death. He understood it. He accepted it, eventually welcomed it for a man so young, you know, mm-hmm. you know, a man who could hardly be called, I guess not true. I was going to say it could hardly be called an adult, but a man <laughs> who's like barely reached actual adulthood right Mm -hmm. you know 50 year olds would look at him and think a young man yeah right yeah so it's it really speaks to how smart the guy was and how driven to understand human emotion (laughs) like the human condition the human experience you know the meaning of life and if there is a meaning at all and whether those questions are answered that is up to you, whether as a, his reader or as a philosopher. Yeah, yeah, it really is incredible. At least what he chose to share with us just shows, yeah, how how he accepted this. Like he, he, there were a few moments in the book where he mentioned like he broke down crying. Of course, I think when he first found out he was she diagnosed. Mentions it. Yeah. Okay. She mentions he, she mentions it at the end. I don't remember him I, saying it. Maybe, maybe he does. She mentioned it. But she definitely does at the end. Yeah. She said like he his wife says that he allowed himself to feel and to grieve and to be sad, to experience the emotion and to let it come through. So that he cried when when he found out. When he got his diagnosis and he cried when he I can't remember the other time. Was there? I'm sure there were multiple She times. mentioned three. I just can't okay. remember them. It's not like he's this robot that doesn't feel anything, but he really approaches it, at least in the book, from a very realistic, pragmatic way. And part of it is, I'm sure, his training as a doctor. So he kind of has learned to see things objectively, but he's still a human and he still has those moments where he's, of course, devastated by what's happening to him. And how could you not be, right? Oh, like yeah. the the balls on this guy to face the issue the way that he did. And I couldn't believe it when I read that they were considering to let him continue operating on people in this most delicate of medical practices. The poor man is, you know, like stricken with the most awful pain, the most awful treatment the most terrible condition and he's opening up brains and fixing them up, you know, like I was surprised that 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 actually let it happen. But I guess, you know, like if he was capable of doing it, they saw that and they did it. They allowed it, they allowed it to happen, but, but it is mind blowing to think so. Right. Oh yeah. Like I can't imagine the level of pain that he described he was going through at certain points. The last thing I'd want to do is stand there for hours and do a surgery, but obviously I'm not a, passionate neurosurgeon like he is so and that is exactly it right like Mm -hmm. the fact that he was passionate about it that he loved that that he found through neurosurgery and through the medical field in general the answer to what the meaning of his life actually was right it was beautiful in that way it really was it was heartbreaking to see that you know like this type this type of person the last person on earth to deserve cancer gets cancer yeah. and dies from it. Very, very sad. And I, I think I told you, like, I read some criticism of the book, people saying that, oh, like, 
why do I care about this privileged, rich doctor? <laughs> There's millions of people who have cancer, and so many of them never get their stories told. And of course, that's true. No, not everyone is going to write a memoir and have it published and and become famous. Yeah. But that doesn't detract from his story. Well, that's a dumbass question, though. That's like asking, like it's like taking any work of art, any expression by anybody, and asking, why do I care? Be like. Is that a rhetorical question begging to be answered with you shouldn't? It's stupid. Like the only way to approach any form of art, any form of expression is subjectively and to find within your appreciation or lack thereof of what you're experiencing and seeing this work of art. Uh, that's the only thing that is going to give you the answer to that question. You know, like, why should I care? I'm like, I read this book and it blew my mind. And I cared because it was beautiful, because it was important, because it was well-written and enjoyable to read. But it was also gut-wrenching and full of incredible anecdotes and interesting passages and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, like somebody, whoever writes a review like that, they 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 were either given this book as a present and they felt like they had to read it and they were so salty about that that they you know decided to shit on the book itself or they're just the bitter person in general you know like this could apply to anything there's people who do this about everything anything that like comes out usually a work of art usually an expression a form of expression there's people that are like, who cares? Why should I care? Why is this so great? Why are Marvel movies popular? Why is this book popular? Why do people like Harry Potter sort of thing, you know? But like, if you don't like it, we'll move the fuck on. Yeah, I mean, I think anyone, no matter what their social status is, anyone going through this experience, it's it's just as sad no matter who you are, I think. And it might be sadder maybe for the people who, who can't afford treatment or don't have access to all the best doctors like he did you know it's sad that there are those disparities of course but i don't think that makes his story any less worthy of being told yeah and these people aren't this family the calanathies it's not like they came for money i don't think they were hurting was a doctor as well i think like a cardiologist yeah but i wonder if you know like that is not fully self-made or in some capacity you know like you're you have to be talented to become a doctor. Yeah, and you're paid in line with your skill and the time and effort that goes into becoming what you are. Yeah, it's not like becoming a trust fund child and be like, look how successful he is. And like, yeah, well, he had the fucking biggest head start you could give a person. These people were, are obviously intelligent and skilled so that they became doctors, like the half of them. That's insane. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, so yeah, again, it is very sad when you think of all the people who, yeah, don't have access to medical treatment and, and whatever, but his story is still worth listening to, even though he... More so, yeah. I think, yeah. It, it's, I think this book is proof of the people out there who find passion in helping others in the most insane ways. I mean, literally cutting them open and fixing what's wrong with them. To put it crudely, yeah, yeah. it's, you know, it just shows that it's just as it is sad that people go through these horrible ordeals, it's marvelous that there are others out there willing to put everything and stand there for 12 hours at a time 
going through surgery or helping you for months on end going through treatment or years and years and years going through some morbidity or other. It's it's beautiful. It's an amazing thing. And it's just more proof that there is good in the world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was really, I'm happy we read it. It was really interesting to see the inner thoughts of someone going through this, this experience and coming to terms with it. And ultimately, like you said, being okay with it, or at least that's what it seemed like. I think, yeah, I mean, uh, my my perception of it was that he came across and dealt with this situation as best as anybody could. Mm-hmm. And that is saying a lot, because a lot of people deal with this very poorly. That can sound a little harsh, but yeah, I mean, it is a tremendously difficult thing to deal with, this, but especially in this particular case, this man who had so much to live for, who was just at the end of a lifetime of training to become a surgeon, to become a doctor, and then he finds out that he has a deadly disease that is most likely going to kill him, and then it does. So yeah, I mean, the way that he dealt with it, the way that he wrote about it, the way that his family and his wife dealt with it, it was just amazing. Yeah, it really was. It was a very, very sad read, but... I didn't leave it feeling depressed or anything. No, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful yeah. story. Yeah, and warning, if you read the book, the epilogue is, at least to me, that was the saddest part of the book. I don't know how you felt about it. But... I liked it. I felt it really completed the, the book. I mm-hmm. feel like it was great up until that point, but the fact that whoever had that stroke of genius of asking Lucy to, to write this and to complete the story of Paul's journey up until and after his own death. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was just, yeah. it was real. It was visceral. It was so putting it all out there. And yeah, it was very raw. Like she was so honest with what she was yeah. writing. Both were. Both yeah. Were oh, more. for sure. But it was cool to get that outside perspective after being in Paul's head the whole time. Mm-hmm. It was an interesting point of view yeah. to have his wife do the epilogue. And, and give a few anecdotes about Paul's life and Paul's treatment and his uh, journey with uh, cancer and through medical school, his entire life in general, that he didn't write about, that he didn't tackle, right? You know, yeah. like it wasn't just a, a farewell to her husband, to her partner, but it gave, like you said, another perspective to it, but like it brought her own unique and beautiful perspective and memories of her husband. It was it was great. <laughs> it was. Yeah, and it's a short book too, so it's a really quick read. Yeah. yeah. And, and definitely worth picking up. If you have any feedback or recommendations, we'd love if you emailed us at apartmentlibrarypodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.